0: Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. We're brought to you today by Tough Love Screenwriting, a brass knuckles, boots-on-the-ground guide to building a paid professional screenwriting career written by veteran working screenwriter John Jarrell, available now on Amazon.com, and there's a link on our site for your convenience. And for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. But first, we have on the show a lit manager and producer who has been a story analyst at CAA, an assistant at the Gotham Group, and head of the story department at resolution before being promoted to agent there he recently branched out and formed his own management and production company heretic literary management i'm pleased to welcome jeff portnoy to the show thanks for coming on jeff
1: thanks kevin thanks for having me appreciate
0: it yeah i'm glad to have you um first off we do like to get to know our guests a little bit i know you're originally from westborough massachusetts and you moved out to la and uh, can you talk a little sure. bit about how you first got started in the business and and what uh, inspired your move out west
1: um I went to college in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I attended Point Park University. I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in film and Video production and my I had love grew up loving movies and I think I was sixteen years old when that's kind of when I made the decision that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. so um, I after college I moved out to l a and the dream coming out was to direct. Be a director, feature mm. film director, and at the first year I was out here, the I, I started kind of coming to the conclusion that I couldn't afford to continue to finance, self finance short films, music videos. Uh, I, you know, being this, if you want to direct, you need to build a reel, and I couldn't afford to do that. So I started to change the focus from directing to screenwriting, and that's when i wrote my first screenplay so i had been out in la for about a year wrote my first screenplay started sending it showing it to people it got in the hands of some professional story analysts and um it was you know the consensus was um that the script was terrible <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely terrible and um i got you know lots of criticism and uh, one of the readers who uh covered the script asked me about my, you know, my screenwriting education. And they and I said, well, you know, now that I think of it, my four-year bachelor's program, there was only one screenwriting class. So, and it was, you know, so I virtually had no screenwriting education. Most of the classes I took were film history, film theory, film production, cinematography, editing. There was one screenwriting class. And in that class, it was a very introductory class. And you didn't actually write a full feature-length script. It was very, like, we just wrote short scripts. So uh, essentially, I had no formal education in screenwriting, and that's when uh, that reader made a suggestion that I look into UCLA Extension, and I ended up um, taking, going to the extension and doing the certificate program in s- film and TV writing, and pretty much t- that was like um, six or seven classes, I want to say, and that's where I had my a good. That's where I really kind of my, my mind was opened to the screenwriting process, and I was found it fascinating. And that's what kind of started me on this uh, pathway. One of the classes I took at the, the extension was Introduction to Story Analysis, and that's where I learned that people actually get paid to read and analyze screenplays, which are what we know colloquially as readers. Uh, so I learned about this job, and I remember that that day saying, "This is something I want to do. I want to be a reader, and and in the, my free time I'll write." So that was so. I'm, I'm thinking about two two and a half years into my. After arriving in L.A., it was, I'm going to be a writer, and, and to make money and to pay the bills, I'm going to be a, a reader. And I started getting jobs as a freelance reader. I'd cover a book for a production company, a couple scripts for this company. And it was very hard to pay the bills and make ends meet that way. And uh, I did get eventually get lucky, and a friend of mine... Uh, was a trainee at Creative Artist Agency. He called me up and he said, Hey, I heard overheard them saying that they needed readers here at CA um, and I said, Yeah, that's exactly what I'd love it. I'd love the opportunity. So he sent my samples um to Kathy Tarr who is the head of, who was then and still is now the head of CA story department and mm-hmm. she read them and I was brought on as a part time freelance reader and part time freelance readers get paid per script and uh, they're independent contractors. And after four months as an in, as a f- part time freelance reader, i was promoted there was an opening on staff and I was promoted to full time staff position at c a as a story analyst and i was the, ended up being there for six years as a reader a staff reader there and um so that's let's see six seven eight that's eight about eight years eight and a half years um of that decade we were talking about earlier right. after after being a analyst for about four and a half, five years, I came to the conclusion that I, and having tried to write a few more scripts since I started at CA, I, I came to the conclusion that I was better. I'm better at giving other writers objective feedback on their scripts and helping them solve, diagnose, and solve problems in their scripts. And I, I started to kind of, you know, discover this strength that I have. I'm talented when it comes to reading a script and giving writing development notes and helping a writer improve the script more so than I am at sitting down at a blank page and writing the screenplay and rewriting it by myself. So having to kind of acknowledge that in myself, I decided that I would, I, I would, I wanted to pursue a career where I was, would be working hand in hand with writers developing material. So the logical, um, you know, Transition would be either to a the job work that leads me to become a manager or a job that leads me to become a development executive at a production company or studio. So um, I started applying for jobs as assistants uh, at management and production companies and studios. And I eventually got hired to be an executive assistant to Lindsay Williams, who is a manager uh, and the head of the live action feature department at the Gotham Group, which is a management and production company. And I was at, at Gotham, I learned about production, I learned about development, and I learned about talent representation and management. I was at Gotham Group for one and a half years. And then when Resolution opened, which is a t- Resolution was a new talent agency that was founded by Jeff Berg. When they opened, I knew a lot of the agents there and they were, they, they, we were, I started talking to them and they floated the idea of me coming over and starting a story department I ended up being hired to start and run Resolution Story Department. And after about six months, uh, after I got the department up and running and had built the infrastructure and hired a, a really cr- great team of analysts and everything was running smoothly, I started scouting for potential clients uh, screenwriters, TV writers, directors. And as we started to sign some of the clients that I was discovering and flagging for the senior agents, I would get on the teams as a junior agent, and when the company finally uh, folded uh, this past October, I had uh, a half a dozen clients that I had signed that didn't have managers. I called them on day one and asked them to come with me to my new management company, which I founded, which is Heretic Literary. And since then, I've been signing clients and continue to sign clients. And. And that's the story. That's that's about 10 or 11 years of, of history right there.
0: <laughs> that's great. And talking about, and this is something we haven't really talked about on the show before, it's coverage. You're the only former story analyst we've had on the show, I believe. And so I wanted to get down to the very basics for some of our listeners who sort of maybe just starting out not really know or understand what coverage really is. Um, And I think you're the perfect person actually to sort of delve into that. Um, So maybe you could explain a little about what actually is in a coverage report, who reads it, why they're used, that kind of thing.
1: Okay, so um, coverage reports are, you you know, the studios, all of the major studios have a story department and all of the major talent agencies have a story department. And all of the story departments have a you know someone running the story department ahead of the story department, and also a team of readers um, covering all the scripts. So I think you you divide it into agency and there's there's you know you want to divide it into two schools. You've got the agency and why they need coverage, and then there's the produ- production companies and studios, and there are two different kind of categories. So if you're looking at the production company and studio, um, you know the reason they're having material covered is they're getting you know, I want to say hundreds of, of submissions a month from agents and managers, and they're, they're, they need they're, there's just a not enough time to read everything. So coverage is used as a kind of you know um, filtering filter. mm-hmm. system. So someone could read you know if a if a script comes in and they'll have a one of their analysts read it, and if it if it meets a certain criteria and it's above a certain threshold of quality maybe an executive will read it and then it'll go up to the, the it'll go up the flagpole from there and if it's but if it's kind of gets poor coverage it might that might kind of kill it in its infancy so to speak and it won't go any further than that i mean they have only so much time there's not enough time to read every single script um... and sometimes the concept of the story or the premise just simply isn't something the company is in interested in doing even if the execution is great so they read the log line coverage across the board is almost always comprised of a logline, a one-sentence logline which sums up the entire story, a synopsis which is anywhere between one to three pages of text which summarizes the story, and one page of comments, sometimes a half a page to a full page of, you know, opinionated analytical evaluation of the the screenplay. Um, At the agencies there's also casting breakdowns to help the casting and talent departments And um, now the agency, it's completely different. You know, with the with the production companies and studios, it's the question is the question the readers pose with, you know, should we make this or should we not or or is it a maybe? It's like basically it's pass or recommend or consider. So yes, maybe yes, no, maybe that's pass, recommend, consider. So basically that's all a buyer or a financier or producer is thinking about. Should we consider acquiring the rights to this? developing it, producing it, and distributing it. So it's really a simple, it's more of a simple uh, question over at the production side of the business because that's all, those are the only three questions. Is it yes, no, or is it maybe? And Mm -hmm. if it's maybe, what what can be done to improve the script to make it a yes? Uh, At the agency level, it's a lot different because you have coverage coming in for over a dozen different reasons. Uh, When I was at resolution, coverage might have come in for, you know, a script was submitted for coverage because we represented the, Uh, screenwriter or author of a book and we needed to get coverage to share with internally amongst all of the agents sometimes we got coverage in because for a potential client consideration a manager might have sent an agent a a script saying you should want might want to consider repping my client they're looking for an agent Um, we got those coming in from lots of different places other clients of ours sending in a friend of a script written by a friend of theirs saying this is a colleague or friend of mine. Would you guys consider representing them? So there was potential representation consideration. We had client scripts. We also got scripts in that were open directing assignments, open casting assignments, and open writing assignments at studios. The way those, these scripts are covered is different than a production company or studio. So if you are re- analyzing a screenplay that is set up at Warner Brothers, with a major A-list producer attached to it, and there's already uh, talent attached to that project, then the, it's a job for a client at the at the agency. So it's not you don't you don't really wouldn't really pass on that screenplay because it's set up in a major studio. It's a job, and we could get one of our clients uh, attached either as a writer, director, actor. And um, now you still in the comments section would discuss what the pros and cons, the strengths and weaknesses of the script, but you would never pass on it because you know, we might have, we might have a direct, we, you know, we represent, any, at any given time, any agency represents a, a wide spectrum of talent, any up-and-coming directors all the way to seasoned veterans. So maybe it's based on the comments, it's not something for a seasoned veteran, but it might be something for an up-and-coming director that's coming from music videos or short films. So there's much broader scope on the agency of why something's being covered and how to go about covering the, that material. And we also would get material for in for financing, um, trying to package and finance a project. Uh, there was a lot, a lot of different reasons. And uh, so, yeah, it was a little more complicated on the agency side. And uh, that's, the, the, that's basically it. I mean, it's just too much. You know, we, we were getting at some months, there would be 100 submissions, 100, 100 coverage requests. The agents are swamped. They depend on the coverage to help kind of prioritize their reading slate. What, what are they going to read first? Um, you know, what elements are attached to, the, to what projects? And is the coverage positive or negative? So, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, the coverage world in a nutshell.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of agencies will kick back unsolicited submissions. Maybe you could explain sort of the rationale for that, and also releases, if sometimes they are accepted, but writers have to sign releases. So maybe you can just touch a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, most agencies do not accept unsolicited submissions, and that's because they are trying to protect themselves against potential litigation in the sense that someone sends a script in if it were formally accepted and someone read the script at the agency and then they passed on it. And then, you know, agencies represent many, many, many writers and they represent over when years, some writers come and go and there's over a course of five years, they might represent over 100 writers and one of those writers might have an idea that's similar to an idea that, that a writer sends in as an unsolicited submission, and then they they say you took my idea. I sent my idea in, and you guys stole it. So it's really a, a legal thing. I mean, if you know, the the bigger the agency and the more money it has, the bigger a target for litigation it is, and therefore. It is going to try to limit that, you know, their liability by not accepting unsolicited submissions. The smaller uh, an agency or management company is, the less of a target is, the less likely they'll be a target of litigation, and the more likely they are to accept uh, unsolicited submissions. And um, so, it's really a legal issue. And the, and a release is basically in in the event that uh, someone does send in an unsolicited, you know, submission query, and an agent or. Coordinator says, "Yeah, I'd love to," or an assistant says, "Yeah, let's read this, but you have to sign the release. The release is basically a layer of protection, saying if you sign this, you can't come back in a year or two and say, you know, one of your clients made a film with a similar idea, and it's I want I'd like you took it, you took my idea, now I'm going to sue you. Um, So it's just an added layer of protection, legal protection, and it's you know when you're dealing with, with when you get hundreds of submission queries and unsolicited queries every week, you have to you know you never know when one of them. Could result in you know a litigation, so you have to protect yourself. So yeah, absolutely, it's that's pretty much why they have it, and uh, it's to protect them. It's not really to protect the writer; it's to protect the agency. And you know, most agencies they don't really need to. The bigger the agency, the less it needs to accept those because they have so many clients that they already represent, and they have so many referrals coming in from managers, producers, other clients. Um, they've got studio executives sending them potential clients. So they have so many scripts to read and and potential clients to consider that they don't really need to go to the unsolicited pile and read those, Um, which is why the smaller the the shop, the more likely it is that they might actually take a look at at a writer that doesn't have any produced credits or has has no history of representation.
0: Mm -hmm. Going back to coverage really quickly. What types of problems, what kind of issues did you see most commonly when you were reading specs for coverage?
1: Most common problems, reading specs. You know, every script is different, but I would say when you're speaking in generalities, um, lack of conflict is one of the biggest problems, Uh, lack of structure, which is, you know, more or less rising conflict in a story. So, you know, one of them, if you're reading a script and you are not engaged in that screenplay, most likely there is a, either a lack of conflict or the conflict that you've been ex- exposed to for a certain segment of the script is not rising. The stakes aren't getting raised. There's no tables are have not been turned there's no new inf- no new revelations and it's kind of, you become desensitized to it so you know l- lack of conflict uh structural issues with the scripts characters not being dimensional it's all the big stuff you know those are the big mm-hmm. problems is you know we're, what we're looking for is we want dimensional proactive compelling characters we want conflict and in order to generate conflict a, a character or characters must have a Goal or goals that they proactively pursue and they must run into opposition from internal and or external forces. So there has to be a goal, they have to proactively pursue it and it has to be opposed. If you don't have those three things, you can't generate conflict. After you generate conflict, stakes have to be raised there have to be some, some new information or reversals or revelations in the story to change the dynamic so that it keeps you engaged and you don't get desensitized to the same level of conflict. So that's the basic, you know, once you, the more you know about screenwriting, the, more, the better you are, if you're able to analyze a screenplay and, or any, and write a screenplay as well. So those are the big ones, This flat characters, lack of conflict and lack of rising conflict. So sometimes you might read a script and you, the first act works, but then it flatlines. That's probably because there's no raising of stakes or new subplots introduced, new fronts of conflict. And, uh, you know, those are the generals. There's everything. There's lots of specific problems in a script. Um, some writers will nail those the basics, which I just went over, but then there's lots of other things that are kind of specific to a script and to certain genres.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure you've never really tracked it, but just if you could maybe guesstimate your best guesstimation, what percentage do you think of scripts in terms of maybe from your experience would get recommend, consider, pass? You know, how, well, what, I'd,
1: say, I'd say going back to the there's, – there's two sides of the business when it comes mm-hmm. to coverage. There's the buyers and there's the entities that, have, that have, are in a position to option or – purchase the rights to a script or a book in, or an article or an IP in perpetuity, develop that and produce it and distribute it. And then there's the representation side of the business, managers, agents. And um, because the produce production side of the business, it's like, you know, if there's only so much money that they can spend. You're going to get a lot of passes on that side of the business. They're going to be, they're just by, just the, by nature, it's going to be more, you're going to scrutinize more on that side of the business. It's, a, it's you know, you're going to get, 75% is going to be passes. You might get 10% um, that are that are considers. You're only going to get a small handful that are. We should do this because, and that's the way it should be because, you know, there's only, money is limited. There's only so much that they can spend on acquiring rights and producing and uh, distributing. On the agency side and the management side, you know, you have nothing to lose. You're trying to get your clients' jobs and put them up for things. So it's more. It could be it's, there's more of a tendency to consider. You get a lot more considers over on that side. And recommends because it's you know we're believing in the promise of the story, saying this could be with a good producer and a, di- and a director developing this material. This has the potential to be something great. So I think it's like kind of a ha- glass is half full, glass is half empty scenario. The on the representation side, you're going to say the glass is half full. That's that's pretty hard. Not a lot of there's thousands and there's millions of writers and very few of them can get it get a, a glass half full. Um, and then the side that has money to spend and money to lose. They are looking at it, saying that's half empty. Um, we have plenty of people that can get it to to half empty. We want it to be three quarters of the way, if not completely full, or we're not interested. So that's you know now in a, in a perfect world, a, an analyst that reads a screenplay should. Should basically discuss the same strengths and weaknesses that are in a screenplay should be discussed. Whether they're reading for a studio or reading for an agency or a management company, the it, the strengths of a script should come through and the weaknesses should be discussed, regardless of whether who they're working for. But you know, the the, the grade, the final grade, whether it's a pass, consider, recommend, those are going to change. You know, so if I read a if I'm working for Warner Brothers as a as a, an a story analyst and I read a script you know I sh- it's I'm going to I should be honest about what works and what doesn't and what could be done to improve it and I but I might say but this is a a mild consider whereas if I'm at an agency I might say this is a um you know I should say talk about the very same things this is what works this is what doesn't this is what could be done to improve it however this is definitely a strong consider that, or this is a recommend because it's such a commercial concept and with the right cast and with the right director, and with the right marketing strategy, and and a strategic release date, this could be a huge hit. Because you've got to remember that that the success of a film, of a feature film, as well as a television series, is uh, a culmination of many things, and not just the screenplay. So that's something we always remember on the representation side, is that a script could be elevated by its cast, by its director, it could be developed by the director. Usually they are developed once there's a director on board, producer on board and marketing is a big deal and it could be a, a film could be a huge success where at the studio side you're going to be it's a tendency to be a little more scrutiny on a script and there's so yeah that's by usually there's a lot more passes on the studio production company side and on the agency side, it's a lot more like we have we see potential in this. This could be developed, managers especially, because we're in the business of developing. We'll see potential in something and consider it with the intent to develop the screenplay with the writer to get it, to improve it and elevate it and get it to a better place.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to touch base on something you had mentioned before in terms of getting clients and uh, referrals. Now, obviously, the referral process is sort of, again, like coverage, it's sort of a way of filtering out writers by being vouched for by somebody within the industry. But what constitutes a referral and, and how important it is for someone, say, in your position, you know, looking for clients?
1: Okay, great. That's a good question. A referral is when someone with a relationship with someone in the business um, mm-hmm. calls on the behalf of the calls or emails someone on the behalf of the writer it's not when the writer does it so if a writer emails me and says, "I sent my script to this company and this executive said she loved it or he loved it it's not really a referral mm-hmm. uh, The referral is when that person calls me and says, "Hey I, so I read this script It's really great work writing. I think this this writer has a very unique voice. Would you be interested in taking a look That's a referral so basically it's anyone except the writer. Now, sometimes the writer can get there. Now, unless the writer, if the writer has gone out there, my, my advice to young writers is this. Before you start spending time and energy trying to find a manager and or agent, you should first try to spend that time and energy trying to get your screenplay um into screenwriting competitions, reputable screenwriting competitions, fellowships. You've got Page Awards. You've got the Nickel Fellowship. You've got the Austin Film Festival screenwriting competition. You've got ScreenCraft. You've got, um, you know, there's, there's Zoetrope. There's a dozen of these things. It's spend that time more wisely by trying to, get it into those, then if you place or win in any of those competitions, your unsolicited submission queries will carry more weight than one that doesn't have any of those. So if I get if I get 30 unsolicited submission email queries and I read through t- in 29 of them, it's just someone saying, hey, I wrote a script, here's the log line. And then one of them says, I, "This my script won the silver prize in the page awards or my script was the uh, i w- I was a finalist in the nickels or something or quarter finalists I'm more likely to read those that have, where the writers actually gone to these vetting sources, which are all these you know festivals and screenwriting competitions and fellowships. they're just vetting sources, and it helps you distinguish yourself from tens of thousands of other writers. So my advice is to to not reach out to managers and agents and instead dedicate as much all of that time and energy you would be calling and emailing managers and agents and dedicated to calling and emailing screenwriting festivals competitions and always aim it for the highest ones first try to get into the biggest ones and that's the best way to do it now if you get into those then you're going to have a much easier time most likely if you win or place those the managers are going to come to you and the agents are going to come to you and you won't have to worry about Reaching out to them, they're going to just come to you, and they'll hopefully start helping you out, get finding representation, and becoming a referral for you. Uh, Also, if you get invited to the, you know, these most of these fellowships and screenwriting competitions, so they have like a dinner for the finalists, or the semifinalists, or winners. You get to meet executives in the business. You get to meet writers who are established, and people will start to become your um, you know, referrals. They'll start to make referrals on your behalf. So that's my biggest piece of advice for any writer who reaches out to me and says, hey, I've never placed or won any competition, but I'm wondering if you'll represent me. I'll say, why don't you try that first, and then that's the best way to do it, because I depend on those. A lot of managers and agents depend on those companies to help selectively single out talented writers because there's just too many to read. There's just too many screenplays for us to read. So we look to those sources uh, for ways to find new, new clients. So that's what I would say is get in those, win those, place in those. We'll come to you. Um, but yeah, as far as referrals go, yeah, a referral isn't emailing someone and saying that you submitted it somewhere that your script was accepted to be read at some company. It's it's when someone calls over to me and says, "Hey, I read this script. It was really good. This guy apparently isn't un- or girl isn't un- is unrepresented. Would you be interested in taking a look?" And then I'd say, "Yeah, absolutely. Send it over." So that's you know technically what a referral is. Is I get a lot of emails from writers where they'll they'll say. Um, hey, I you know this executive said he would read it. An executive at this company said he would read my script, or is excited about my script, or it's not really. If they're not willing to pick up a phone and call me or email me, if the, then it's not really a referral, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. And in addition to being that sort of filtering service, also it shows that. They have some sort of initiative that they're seeking out, not just agents and managers, but places they can go to get read, to get sold, talking to executives, producers, and development people. And if someone's willing to pick up a phone or email, at least they've started to build a network, which is obviously important uh, because it makes your job easier. You don't have to introduce them to everybody. At least you have a few places they can probably go without having to introduce your new writer. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yes, that's correct. They... It, it, you got you to be your own. My, my best piece of advice I can give a, a young writer, or, or any up and young or old, whatever up and coming writer who's just started, is until you have a representation, which is a manager and/or an agent, you have to be your own representative. And by that, I mean you have to get as much press or ink on your own, an exposure that you can on your script, which is placing or winning in competitions or fellowships. And also networking yourself, which if you're in, if you live in LA, it means getting out there and meeting people and calling people. If you don't live in LA, it means emailing and calling, and getting people to interested. So you're your own representative when you first start out, and then you get yourself to a point that you, want, you First, you're your own representative, and then once you start getting jobs and getting assignments, and getting some exposure, you're winning, you're placing in competitions. Then you get a manager to and or an agent to help you take you to the next level but you have to get yourself to that first level so you're you got to be your own representative so if you are starting out as a writer and you have a few screenplays uh, I would I would try first and foremost to get those screenplays and teleplays into any reputable competitions film festivals usually have them nickel etc cetera, etc cetera. and then of course as much networking as you can reach out to someone and introduce yourself and um, see if they 'll get lunch with you and see you know it's it 's hard um but you can if you if you do it it 'll people will meet you and then you 'll start to network so you have to be your own rep
0: mm-hmm. at
1: first which is which is difficult for a lot of writers because there 's you know writing writers tend to be um you know introspective and introverted and and not it 's not you know it's a it 's a different personality type to be out there whining and dining and networking but unfortunately, you have to do it for yourself and you have to kind of get over that I was had to do that myself. Having started as a writer and just trying to get out and meet people, and you just the doors start opening once you meet people. People meet you for lunch and they say, I'm going to send your script to a friend of mine. That friend sends it to another friend. So until you have a manager, you have to be your own manager. And then once you have a manager, the manager's job is to develop your skills and develop your material and get you the first, get you a job, get you an assignment, get you noticed by agents. And then the agents come in to take you to that higher level, which is Studio gigs and um, it's uh, it's an interesting process. But yeah, that's that's pretty much the advice,
0: right? No, that's great Actually, your response actually leads us straight into our uh, listener questions We've got a few listener questions that I want to run by you sure the first one being What advice do you give to your more introverted writers speaking about introversion? What advice do you give to your more introverted writers in regards to pitching and general meetings
1: my best piece of advice I can give you when it comes to pitching is to keep it short, as short as possible. Which I, And by that, I mean, you know, if you come up with a log line, create a log line for your screenplay, and you really want to pitch, it's a log line plus a little bit of extra information. You never, ever, ever want to pitch your screenplay or your teleplay to an executive in the business, a manager, agent, producer, etc., and and find yourself telling the story from the beginning to the end, or even act by act, even scene by scene. It's too much. You, you should always just... It's the broad strokes. It's two to three sentences. And then be prepared to answer questions. And be prepared to talk about the genre and the audience. So if you're pitching a script, you say it's, you know, I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a good example. But, um, you know, if you're pitching Jaws, okay, for example, you would say it's about a small um, beachside community, tourist community that's terrorized by a shark during the busiest weekend of the year. And the head of the Police and a few other men go out in search of trying to kill this thing. I, did, I just summed up Jaws in two sentences, and and then it's a horror. I might I might add on it's a horror film. It's got you might talk about the themes um, a little little extra, and that's it. You literally two less than two minutes, and they should know the whole. That's it. That's what they want. They want to hear the broad strokes and see it in one two sentences. Maybe hear a little bit about what movie. You could also say it's this movie meets that movie. So you give them a sentence log line, you give them some com- touchstone comparisons, always try to choose successful films when you're making comparisons, so you don't want to say it's, you know, it's like uh, this movie that, that bombed uh, recently, you Me- just want to say it's like this meets this, and those right. films should be relatively successful. Talk about the genre, maybe a little about the theme, anything about it, if it's topical, a few sentences, a few words, a few touchstones, and then you're done, and that's like no more than two minutes, three minutes tops. They ask you some questions you have to be prepared to answer, and either they want to read it or they don't. Never, ever, 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 go up to someone and say, okay, so my story's about this guy. Okay, he wakes up one morning. He looks, and he, when he wakes up, he walks over, and he sees, When he looks down, and he sees if once an executive realizes, or a manager, agent, etc., realizes that you are about to walk them through the story, you're, gonna, you're basically reading it to them. They've tuned out at that moment, and you've lost them, and all they're doing is trying to save face by ma- making it look like they're listening. But they're, if they're going to read it, they're going to read it. They're not going to listen to you tell it. So, it's You're dead in the water. Um, and some, you know, obviously you find kind of people will do a little bit in between where they'll just pitch it. It goes a little too long. Keep it short. Keep it short. Keep it short. As short as possible. One sentence. Eh, the shorter, the better. And be prepared to answer questions. And there, and and be prepared. Be prepared to talk about films that are it's comparable to in tone and concept. You might say it's uh, it's a little bit of it's Guardians of the Galaxy meets Indiana Jones that's a good those are good that helps get give that person a bead on what type of story it is and what the tone of the story is and then you say it's about the, a guy who sets out to save the world and at the price of sacrificing his own soul great we got we get a good idea what it's about it's a thriller with a little supernatural element okay so we got the genre and you might talk about the market it appeals to you know it's definitely appeals to this audience here that audience that male over 25 Great. That's it. That's all they need to know. So that's my that's the key. As far as general meetings, general meetings are meetings that usually are, are organized after an executive or executives at an agency, management company, production company, studio, have already read a sample of the writer's writing. They're already happy with the sample and want to meet the writer for a general. A general is really a meet and greet to get a sense of who this writer is and where they're coming from and are they easy to work with and what are their ideas and what are their sensibilities? And it's just a kind of, a, it's really just a general meet and greet so that when the reason a writer goes on a, a general is so that when that pr- producer or production company or studio has a opening for an assignment, they have an assignment like to rewrite a script or a article that they want adapted as a feature film or a, or a video game, they'll, have, they'll remember all the writers they've met with over the last several months or years, and say and they, and they keep a list of everyone, and they say, we remember we read this guy's sample, he was we love that sample, and we really liked him in the room, maybe we'll bring this guy in to, to consider pitching on this, we'll send him the material and have him or her come in and pitch the idea and that kind of thing. So in this business, there's the three most important things in the business are idea, concept, which is also concept, also premise, execution and presentation personal presentation in a room how are you in a room when you meet with executives are you easy to work with if they su- make a suggestion if you say no that that's a stupid idea then they might write a note down this person's difficult to work with we don't want to work with them if you make a suggestion and, and the writer says that's actually a cool idea let's explore that you know actually if we did that then maybe this would be this would happen then they're okay this person someone that's amenable to our notes and is going to be easy and enjoyable to work with so first you have to have a good idea a good hook a good premise you have to execute that's really important and then of course once you've executed and you get into the room with the executives you have to convey a sense convey to them that you are easy to work with but not necessarily you're going to be they could roll over you but you're you're open to ideas you're you'll you'll explore them and see them through if they work great you're you you just want the best script possible you'll implement them if the ideas don't work you will in a very polite way explain why that you you say I've tried this idea you gave the suggestion I tried it I I try. you know it just simply doesn't work and explain why you have to present your case and state it and that's how you do it in a civilized manner and not just be closed-minded so those are the three most important things in as a writer is you have to have ideas that are different that have hooks that are clever um, and then you have to execute really well and then of course you're going to be good in a room
0: Mm mm-hmm now, the next one is, what are your views on representing writers that are not based in Los Angeles?
1: Um, I, when you, so when you represent a writer that's not based in Los Angeles, all it's, it's kind of like there's, there's two sides of the coin. There's, if they write something, and you can, you can go out with that piece of material. And by go out with, I mean shopping it to producers and studios and financiers and buyers in general. And if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but if someone reads the script and says, well, this isn't for us, but we'd like to meet with the writer for a potential assignment, if the writer can't attend a meeting, then it's going to be very difficult for them to win an assignment at a studio or a production company. So I, from time to, I do have several clients who do not live in Los Angeles, and what I do with them is uh, I, they write specs. I shop those specs and try to sell those specs, try to get those set up. If I succeed, that's great. If, if for some reason someone reads one of those and says, we want to meet with these writers, then what I do is I note that down and, and I keep notes of everyone who's interested in meeting with them. And if they're ever in Los Angeles, I set meetings for those clients if they're visiting L.A. If they don't visit L.A., then they're never going to meet those people. And it's it's either a sell or don't sell kind of situation. So um, it's harder. I, I'm, I, I would say this. When I'm considering representing a client, if they don't live in Los Angeles, And they're not going to be visiting a lot i would i I would hope the quality of their work compensates for the fact that they're not going to be able to take a lot of general meetings and go up for assignments so i'm looking for a stronger sample if someone sends me some samples and they live here and they're available to go for these general meetings i might i might be okay if their samples aren't as strong as the ones by the person who is living outside of town because we can they're here and they can compensate by going in and meeting people and and trying to get those jobs so yeah if when i if i'm reading a sample by someone who lives in town and reading a sample by someone who doesn't the guy or girl who doesn't live in town the sample needs to be really strong because they're not going to be able to go up for assignments some clients will come into town two three times a year and i'll set meetings for them and that's fine it's just that it's just you can't get as many meetings if if, if you're visiting once or twice a year so that's kind of where i stand on it. it's always going to be harder to get representation. If you don't live in town, it's not impossible. And there's lots of writers that are represented by managers and agents here in Los Angeles who live in all over the country and world. It's a little little bit trickier.
0: Right. Here is another one. Do you ever pass on scripts and hence writers that you actually like for reasons unrelated to the script or the writing? For example, if you represent like a half a dozen horror writers. Already on your, you know, in your roster, what would you do in that situation? For example,
1: I see what you're. Saying. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I could see that being a problem. If you if you represent uh, too many writers who write in a specific genre, then you might. Yeah, I think you can only you can only represent a certain amount of writers in a certain type of genre. But at the same time, if they, you know, just I think it just depends on the strength of the writing. If it's really good, I don't think it matters. It's just if the ex if the if there's a great idea. In great execution, you know it, you just have to you know i 'll represent multiple d- writers who write in the same genre. I think there's a certain limit i haven 't reached that limit with any genre yet, but I think there is a limit and um, um, but yeah i mean it 's really the execution if it 's really really good I, I think the more let 's say I, I have ten writers who write horror films. Um, the more horror writers I, I take on, the more. I'm going to be looking for the better the samples that are going to come in for the next client. I'm not just going to keep taking on more for the sake of taking on more. They've really got to be have some great writing. So if something comes in and I already have a, a bunch of writers that write in horror, but I read something really, really good and it really blows me away, I'm going to represent that writer. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it could have an effect. If there's a glut, I think you could be less likely to take someone on.
0: Mm-hmm. And lastly, do you seek out diverse writers or do you just go by referrals, contest winners, who's hot right now, etc.? I mean, I guess, does diversity play a role in your selection process or is it just about the writing and the ink on their resume, that sort of heat?
1: Uh, I sign it's it's the it's the elements that I factor in when I'm deciding to represent someone is the their commercial sensibility. The execution in their right of their talent on the page and as I mentioned before their location where they live does t- factor in not compl- it's not a make or break but you know where they live and are they willing to come out for meetings that's something the one thing that I almost I don't really consider is you know race or ethnicity it's really not something I, I notice or it's something that I factor in it's it, you know if it's a great writing it doesn't matter if someone's blue orange yellow white black hispanic it doesn't really matter if the right if it's great on the page i usually have uh, by the time i meet with someone in person and see them for the first time i've usually already made a decision whether i want to represent them based off their samples their ideas discussions i've had on the phone with them and their again proximity to los angeles availability for meetings um, and their 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 pedigree have they won or placed in competitions uh race doesn't really play into it almost at all. Uh, I have a fairly diverse group of writers right now. But again, I don't go out seeking writers to to represent solely based off of their race or ethnicity. And I don't turn anyone away based on that at all. It's all about how you write on the page. And, you know, so again, it's very blind. The way I go about finding things is you have to impress me on the page. and And I have to think you have some great ideas. And and you know, when I meet someone, it's about presentation. You know, when when we're discussing is someone good in a room or not, that has that does nothing to do with the way you look. It has something more to do with how you act and how you present yourself. So that factors in behavior, factors in, but not appearance.
0: Mm-hmm. We also like to ask guests what they're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. So what are you reading, watching, playing, and or listening to?
1: Uh, let's see, reading, right now I'm watching all of, I'm trying to make sure I see every film that's been nominated for <laughs> a Golden Globe or an Oscar, so I'm getting through them little by little. So I just recently signed Into the Woods and, and uh, Big Eyes and um, The Imitation Game and Nightcrawler. So I'm just getting through all these films. Still Alice. I just saw the other day. I want to see that movie Cake. Um, and I'm just making my way through all those films. In terms of reading, I'm not reading anything that anyone would. A lot of the stuff I'm reading is either a script a client of mine wrote, or a script of a, someone that's trying to get representation with me, a potential client that someone sent me. So I'm nothing that you, anyone would hear of. I'm, I don't really read for pleasure anymore, unfortunately, because I am. There's never an end to the amount of scripts that are coming in for potential clients and by clients that I'm representing. So it's always that kind of stuff. Um, I do from time to time try to read the black scripts that get on the black list and scripts that are getting set up at studios and production companies. But it's, you know, those are fewer and far between. It's really all about my clients and potential clients. Uh, And then, you know, as far as listening to, I... Have, you know, my personal musical taste and always listening. I'm, I'm a big cl- fan of classic rock and mm-hmm. uh, 80s music, classic rock from the 60s, 70s. You know, Jimi Hendrix, Beatles, Grateful Dead, all that kind of stuff. Neil Young, Talking Heads.
0: And playing, do you play any uh, games?
1: I don't play any instruments. Don't play any... There's no sports or okay. games that I really play. Gotcha. I No time. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the arts. I, I love seeing movies. I love seeing plays. I love reading. I used to love reading books. Like I just said, I don't have a lot of time for it right. anymore, but I am a fan. And uh, and listening to music, going to concerts, stand-up comedy, um, that kind of stuff.
0: Gotcha. Full slate. And lastly, is there any final advice you have for aspiring screenwriters or anything else you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I would. I, I think the, the biggest piece of the advice that I think a writer, aspiring screenwriters could take away from this podcast is you can never learn too much Like I had my bachelor's degree in film and video production and I could have easily kind of said I'm not gonna I'll just read a crack a book or I'll just write and I don't I can be self-taught I think it's you can always learn more if I had the time I would and I would I would go and continue taking classes at UCLA extension and you know whatever college has classes that you can just take as adult continuing education I would love to I I still do an online class from time to time you you work with writers that have worked in the business and there's always something new you can learn, um, reading screenwriting books. So I'd say keep learning, uh, keep reading. And I would also say that when you articulate, if you being a story analyst or a reader is one of the best ways to strengthen your skills as a writer, because there's a huge difference between articulating your thoughts on a script in writing and just telling someone or telling yourself what you thought of it. If you're forced to, articulate why a script worked, why it didn't work, how it could be improved in writing because you know the writer's going to read it. Uh, That gives you a skill, you develop a skill and it helps you when you're trying to work out problems in your own scripts and in other people's scripts. Um, So I would say, you know, it's a great job for a writer. So read as much as you can, uh, see as many movies as you can, always be learning, reading books, taking classes um writing your you always continue to write, obviously you should always be writing and actually practicing get feedback from only get feedback from people that you trust and that have some qualifications I would say always try to seek out readers who work in the industry don't ask your if you 're not from l a and you 're asking your friends and your family to read it it's it's not really a good thing. you should just seek out people that have experience that are qualified and get notes from them um There's so many outlets to find analysts. Uh, be a reader yourself. Analyze. The more scripts you analyze, the better. You always learn more from the bad ones and the good ones. Um, and again, you can't just read it and say this is bad. If you force yourself to write down exactly why it doesn't work. When I was running the story department at resolution, if in a reader or an assistant or an intern covered a screenplay and they said this was bad, I'd say that's not – you can't write that on the paper. I, you, I will not let you write that it's bad. I need you to tell me why it lost your attention, and exactly what happened in the story that lost your attention. So, For example, if the character uh, achieved, uh, uh, obtained their goal too early in the story, and there was no new goal set, and there's no new opposition set, and there's no con- therefore there's no conflict, then you aren't re- paying attention anymore, you're, having, you're forcing yourself to turn the page, you're not, it's not pulling you forward, you're not engaged anymore. That's what I want you to say. I want you to say as a result of the character achieving their goal too early and no new, fronts of, uh, no new, new goals being set and new conflicts being established, this loses the interest of the reader and won't, will not engage an audience. That's how you say it. You don't say it's bad. So you have to get used to technically saying, you know, it's like a doctor. If you go to the doctor and you're sick, the doctor's going to tell you exactly what's causing it and why. He's not just going to say, you know, you're sick. You know, right. Or, you're, you're gonna eat, drink some soup or something. I don't really know, but something's obviously not wrong. So if you want to, you know, if you really want to take writing seriously, you need to learn exactly what it is. You know, if you want to be a car manufacturer or, or a, a car designer, you have to know exactly. If something's not working, you have to lift up the hood and find out exactly what what it is that, on a subconscious level, made you not engaged anymore in the script. Um, so I wouldn't let people say that. I wouldn't let people write those things. I would force them to tell me exactly what it was, and they would be it would be tough sometimes. they They weren't used to tell, articulating verbally or in writing why exactly something stopped having their interest. Mm-hmm. and um, And then And then my last piece is just to reiterate, is just once you do have some material, you need to be your own representative, do as much net move to Los Angeles is a huge was a huge step. biggest step you'll ever take in your career is moving here. Um, being your own representative, networking, even if you don't like it, you've got to do it, and then trying to place and win competitions. Uh, that'll, that'll result in managers and reps coming to you versus you going to them. St- find a way to stand out. Your story's not going to st- make you stand out. Your idea's not going to make you stand out. It's just going to be if you are quarterfinals, semifinalist, finalists, you win some competition, it's going to get some press. You're going to get in the trades. People are going to call you, and they're going to want to read your scripts. They're going to want to meet you. Um, so yeah, the best thing you can do is all of those things, and again, moving to Los Angeles is a big step, but it's probably, uh, unfortunately, it's one of the most important things you can do for those uh, people that don't live in the city, just because of the access you have to producers, executives, the networking you can do. Um, once you have representation, then it's easier to move back to where you came from, and you can let someone else expose your material, but then, then you won't be able to get those assignments anymore, so it's a big, right. you know, it's a big thing moving here. So, yeah, that's a lot of, I know that's a lot of advice, but no, it's, great. it's all good advice.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Kevin.
0: You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore Portnoy. And uh, for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at ScriptScribes. You can also find us on Facebook and Google+. Thanks for listening.